हेलो एवरीवन एंड वेलकम टू अवंतिका डिजाइनरिंग सीरीज और एडीएस एस वी लाइक टू कॉल इट एवरी वीक ऑन वेडनेसडे वी फीचर डिजाइन एंड टेक्नोलॉजी लीडर्स हु शेयर द प्रोफेशनल जर्नी दर थॉट्स ऑन द डोमेन ऑफ वर्क एंड डिजाइनरिंग वेयर द वर्ल्ड ऑफ डिजाइन एंड इंजीनियरिंग मीट मेक श्योर यू फॉलोअर्स ऑन सोशल मीडिया इंस्टाग्राम लिंकड इन फेसबुक एंड ट्विटर एंड विद दैट लेट्स कंटिन्यू विद योर शो customer experience by its nature has to deal with the emotions of customers their irritations and desires but it must also deal with the business logic manifested in the processes and systems that deliver services to customers service design blends the creative storytelling needed to inspire customers with the analysis and structure required to deliver business results to know more about this thing in this episode we interact with manali mitra chief design officer at urchalo with over two decades of professional experience she has been focused on strategy storytelling and creative direction of large online experiences and that's why on our journey of discovering designering we talk to her about designing experience for services hey hello manali welcome to avantika designering podcast series it's a pleasure to host you on our show today thank you rohit for inviting me it is great to be back so manali let's start with a nice breaker design is regarded as a gateway to resolving the most complex problems the truth is that in these rapidly evolving unstable times you can't build upon old knowledge and laws you must be prepared to take new point of views new theories the question that i have for you there is how do designers comprehend the value of unlearning or being humble to learn even though they are good in a field great question rohit first let me tell you if a designer is not humble it would have a negative impact on the collaboration and even on the end product uh, i always say that design and humility are interconnected it will enable one to receive feedback work across teams empathize with the users and remain open minded to the new ideas right so if one is humble automatically the person becomes curious Uh, and we are working in an industry that is based on trends and technologies which impacts our product almost time to time right and uh, we have to pursue that unfamiliar and master it uh, so when i say unlearning unlearning doesn't imply to toss out our old accumulated knowledge from the old experiences or even negate the previous know how uh, rather it is about being you know uh, open to different and the new ways of getting things done so it's not about forgetting it is about the ability to choose an alternative paradigm i would say which is more relevant at that particular time so you know i'll just i'll give you one example last year we adapted to the remote workshop facilitation uh, and it did not happen overnight 
a lot of preparation, learning, unlearning, experimenting that happened and even happening, you know. So I'll say don't be emotionally attached to any of your designs, process or laws. Just let go. Be humble, be curious and embrace experimentation. Wow, that's a really interesting outlook on that, uh, Manali. And while we talk about this, let's talk about your work experience, your professional journey. With over two decades of experience, primarily in narrative and creative direction, a broad online experiences, transitioning from studying literature to communication design to user interface and user experience design, to facilitating design thinking workshops and certified Lego series play facilitator and recently completely designing a design studio, which is something entirely out of the ordinary. Wow, I must say this is quite an interesting journey. We would love to hear about the entire experience, entire professional journey of yours till now. Oh, that's a long journey, Rohit. Uh, all I can say, it has been a series of constant discoveries and new learnings. Um, honestly, when I look back now, uh, I didn't plan any of it. As a kid, I loved painting, uh, art, reading. Uh, so I studied comparative literature from Jadavpur University and the whole journey was really fascinating. You know, it got, you know, it taught me a lot of critical thinking and most importantly, a sophisticated understanding of cultural differences and uh, diversities around the world. Uh, and uh, with my love for art and design, by the way, those days design uh, was mostly referred to fashion and interior. And I love doing up homes, you know, whether it was my own home or a friend's home. So I enrolled myself for an interior designing diploma course for 18 months at an institute called Exterior Interior, uh, which ran in partnership with Jensen and Nicholson. Uh, just to understand the techniques like psychology of colors, grids, patterns, anthropometrics, and, uh, you know, uh, space planning, and so on. And I, I loved it. Uh, unfortunately, I could not learn AutoCAD because those days computers hadn't come in. Uh, so what a miss. <laughs> so the day we were called for placements, I didn't turn up. I wanted to take a break and experience being a homemaker, which I loved, you know, between. And uh, when I was taking this few years of sabbatical, uh, I really explored a lot. I read up and I bought a computer. This was mid-90s. So I think I think it was an uh, i386 or a 486. And I was fascinated with a web uh revolution you know and anyone who would come down from us i would ask them hey get a book on hci and back then one of the books which i read and really really excited me was steve krug's don't make me think i think that was a second edition on web uh, usability and i was very sure that if i uh, you know i if i come back to work it would be new media 
So it was uh, late 99 and early 2000, you know, I wanted to uh, come back uh, to work and my son was too tiny for me to go to a design school. Uh, so I learned and mastered the Photoshop and uh, Macromedia kit. Do you remember that? <laughs> Those days, Macromedia kit. Uh, uh, I got a then I got a very good opportunity to work for a tea expert house to design their communication and packaging. Again, I was very lucky because uh, packaging was something I never did. Uh, so when I joined this tea expert house to, uh, you know, to do up, just do their websites and brochure, they just asked me whether I was interested in doing that. I said, why not? You know, again, a new learning. So I remember I would go to Malda. It's a small uh, town in uh, West Bengal and explore the cane, uh, in the cane packagings there and test it. So, yeah, I think, again, I had a very, very nice time there and I learned a lot. Um, that's the time, you know, everybody wanted a website for their uh you know, for something else, you know, some company or organizations. Uh, so I partnered with a friend of mine um, and we had this small agency where we would just design websites and digital presentations. Um, again, it did very well because everybody wanted a website. Um, and if you, if you, you know, if you look back, those days, design uh, was more of an output. I mean, it was really not a part of or, you know, it was not an integral part of any process. You know, right, you know, like now there was there was no user research. Now we do like end to end, you know, from user research till the user testing. Uh, thank God we've come a long way. Thank God for that. So then I moved to Delhi and... <clears throat> I worked for a UK online marketing company uh, and one of the significant uh, changes I did in Delhi was to join Oxygen. It is, it, you know, it was an ad agency where I helped them to set up their interactive uh, media outfit. Um, you know, that was actually a lot of, um, you know, I think that's the time the UX, everybody was getting used to UX. Though we hardly used the terminology UX, it was more of an interface, you know, it was more of a interface uh, design. But um, but yes, slowly they were getting, so I read up a lot on UX those days. Um, then I moved to Pune and worked for a startup and then a consulting firm. Uh, then I moved to Bangalore to Harman, but you know my health just didn't uh, allow me to stay there because of the pollens. I came back to Pune, joined the consulting firm, and I kind of set up their UX and the entire user research process. Um, now, when I was uh, facilitating a lot of design thinking workshops. Um, you know, I love doing that. That is one of my favorites to, you know, facilitate workshops. And I was looking for a tool actually, uh, which would help me to unlock insights. And I was doing a lot of research. And that's the time I came across Robert Rasmussen's book on Lego Serious Play. Um, and I, this was around four to five years back. And I actually emailed him. And finally, last year, March, I was supposed to do the course. I mean, uh, get certified 
under Robert, but it got pushed. But I was adamant, uh, Rohit. I was like, you know, it has to happen this year or not. So finally, I flew to Denmark in the peak of pandemic last year in September, and I got certified there under Robert. Oh, that's a fascinating story, an adventurous story uh, to tell, but then I'll keep it for some other day. Um, so Lego Serious Play, again, it's it's a wonderful tool, though unfortunately since last six months because of this lockdown, I couldn't apply it because it really works in a face-to-face workshop. Um, and But yes, I'm trying to uh, master the art of 3D note-taking with uh, Lego bricks, uh, which I learned from uh, Robert. And yes, in my last organization, I did uh, design an entire floor. I always have a smile on my face when I say this. It was a lot of fun. At the same time, well, a lot of blood, sweat and tears. Um, But I'm glad the outcome did reflect the sensibilities I applied and my team loved it. That was my biggest uh, reward, I would say. Well, and now I'm in Urchalo, uh, you know, which is a beautiful purpose, which is uh, making the soldier's life simpler. And yeah, that's a long journey and I'm, it's full of risks and a lot of new learnings. And I'm sure that, you know, in Urchalo, I'm looking forward uh, to learn more things. So yeah, that's it. Wow. Hey, Manali, you never went to a D school or a design school. How did you learn the nuts and bolts of design and now leading a team of individuals who come from design schools? <laughs> so, so I think my last response said a lot. And, uh, you know, as I told you, I'm very curious when it comes to new learnings. And I love asking the five whys in the house. Uh, then most of my learnings have come from my experiences, the research, the experimentations, And then a lot of reading, you know, and, you know, applying them to the real-time projects, uh, failing and experimenting again and then succeeding, you know, and the whole journey would go on like this. And that's how you learn, right? Uh, Then whatever I have done, Rohit, I've done with a lot of passion, you know, and uh, I would like to say a person's journey can take them to fabulous places that look nothing remotely like an inside of a classroom. But the souls are blessed with curiosity and the ability to take on the risks and I think I'm one of the blessed souls you know (laughs) Um, well and as far as leading a design team from a design school the type of institution one comes from really doesn't matter you know it is all about uh, the guidance the trust the empathy you know you build within the team right it is all about the group uh, dynamics right um so i'm and i've always had amazing team uh, who have showered so much of love you know so yes i am really really blessed um and to, just to sum up whether or not the leader is from a design school is irrespective as long as he or she can inspire the team wow that's an interesting take in terms of leading and managing uh, design teams I, I i think that's that's a very very interesting uh, way of doing it and while talking about you know leading teams 
we also know you have your own studio called as Kiva Studio, which specializes in creative lifestyle products inspired by the 60s and the 70s. The product ranges from coasters, lamps to other home accessories. How did the idea of studio happen? How did you go about setting up Kiva Studio? Kiva Studio is my most loved but neglected child, Rohit. <laughs> so when I was traveling, when I, you know, when I shifted from uh, Delhi to Pune, I took a break of six months and uh, to set up my new home in a new city. And that's the time I needed some stuff for my home. And I recycled some of my damaged vinyls into chandeliers, fruit balls, clocks and then I designed some cushions and coasters inspired by my favorite artists. So anyone who would just walk into my home and they would say, hey, this is so cool and I want one. So I started, you know, to kind of, uh, you know, make few more and give them. Then, then they said, do not do this. Why don't you try to sell it? But, you know, I was pretty sure that I wouldn't commoditize Kiva Studio, you know, I was very, very sure about it. But then I retailed through only three stores across India and I did not want to even, you know, I was not interested, honestly. A lot of people told me that, you know, you know, make it online and all that. And, you know, my website is also, it's not even, I don't know, it's not even working or not working, you know. So right now I only retail through one store, which is called Either or in Pune. Um, and basically the objective of Kiva Studio was to share the sensibility with a like-minded person, you know. Because I did not expect somebody to buy a Franz Kafka tote bag or a Satyajit Ray tote bag, right? Uh, but then if it was sold, I had joy. Not because I, you know, I did not make money out of it. But somebody bought a tote bag, you know, which had, you know, which was a Franz Kafka tote bag. <laughs> so that was the joy which I, which I got. So... Yeah, I mean, uh, that's that's the story about Kiva Studio. So it's more about sharing sensibilities and that's it. Yes, and I, last two years, actually, I did not pay attention to Kiva. I mean, I did not create anything new, but I hope I get some time and I, you know, get to do something and I just, let's see if I design something in next few years. Yeah. Hey, did you know Urchello offers free air tickets to the family members of battle casualty called as Urchello Shraddhanjali. And the Urchello booking office closes to the line of control in Uri and the highest booking office is in Leh. Well, Manali, from being a designer and an entrepreneur to talking about Urchello, an online travel platform for the Indian Armed Forces, parliamentary, ex-servicemen and their dependents. With the realization that several troops could not avail of our services due to the unavailability of the internet or reluctance to make online payments. With your services one step closer to our soldiers by establishing air ticket booking counters pan India. Can you tell us how design can contribute to upscaling this experience for your customers. 
Yes, Rohit. So we do have uh, physical touch points across India. Uh, I want to say something here that our booking office managers are all ex-servicemen who understand the sensibility of, of our soldiers very well. And some stories are just amazing that how they have traveled, uh, you know, for miles to a village to deliver tickets in emergency, you know. So honestly, the booking office managers are really doing their bit when it comes to the customer experience. And to answer your question, yes, there is a challenge of fragmentation of the ever-expanding number of customer-facing touch points. And so we have a very good marketing team who's, uh, you know, who's working to build a consistent brand experience across the booths. And as a design team, the service safari is already happening where the service designer and the user researcher are visiting the booths, observing noting the customer interactions, you know, to even the physical objects around the furniture, the dimensions, every bit of it, you know. Uh, so, but unfortunately, the service safari is being stopped for two months because of the lockdown. It will again start hopefully in July once uh, they get fully vaccinated. And then one, it will go on for a few months until we start synthesizing and building the customer journey, the service blueprint, then to come up with the solutions that would create an integrated experience for our booths. Wow, Manali, this is such an interesting niche that your organization caters to and such an inspiring, uh, such an inspiring idea. I really loved it. And why we spoke about your professional journey and the organizations that you've been associated with, let's step into the world of design and land up asking you a few questions on design. So my first one there, a good user experience research culture and a straightforward and harmonized framework not only improve design, but allows the entire enterprise to have a shared view of customers, product situations, and more. The question that I have for you there is, how can designers more fully consider cultural communities and develop a strong user experience research practice for more inclusive products? I'd say ethnographic research is a great method. Uh, so at Uchalo, we have soldiers from different parts of India, you know, who have varied mindsets. We have systematically designed the research to understand the cross-cultural psychology and the local sensibilities and customs. Um, you know, it's very important for us to go into the field, to meet these people, uh, where they work, you know, where they stay, where they live, how they live, and how their culture is affecting the internet usage, the e-commerce trust, the information, the technology adoption, uh, you know, everything. And, you know, I would say a good way to start is uh, start identifying your biases. I do it all the time. And also your assumptions you have about that particular situation, that particular people, you know, that you seek to understand. It's a very good start because from that point onwards, you can compare and it also puts you in a great place as an ethnographer to listen, practice empathy and curiosity. Um, and when you're trying to design for a global community, I feel a designer must go through the Hofstede's uh, cultural dimensions. The theory is very helpful. I found it pretty helpful when we are 
designing for audience of a certain country that we don't know i mean we don't know about right so it does provide an initial understanding of what to consider or what are the areas of opportunities and you know and so on um then based on that you could generate a hypothesis and you know frame your research questions to move, you know to move forward uh, but however i always felt i mean this is completely my opinion because the theory views people in a country as a whole it doesn't consider the subcultures you know and i feel that culture changes over time so the changes are difficult to be identified from this framework i feel so i'd recommend uh, go on to the field conduct an ethnographic research study and yeah i mean that is the most important just just observe and empathize and do your report work very well wow that's a brilliant take manali and my next one is something that i personally experienced with you while talking about building personas personas are a must have in design apps and facilities and with good cause they aid in developing consumer empathy in the organization and provide an excellent starting point for new goods or campaigns customer segregation itself is a complex process the question that i have for you there banali is how do we as designers ensure that we build personas for users who have not yet used the product okay so let me take a step back and address your first line rohit <clears throat> where you say personas are a must have yes but i have seen some irrelevant personas full of fake information so for the sake of a must have one should not create a fake persona and the personas are supposed to be real guys i mean they are based on real people and stories they could be fictional representations but based on the stories uh, that are real so yeah i mean i would say please stay away from building a fake persona uh, so i just wanted to highlight that and to come back to your question as a, i'll give you an example as a uchalo design team we keep a close watch on the analytics so we spend hours on that actually so we have identified a user segment who are not using our product and we have uh, set up series of interview now to understand the fundamental motivations and the mindset of this segment so once we are done with uh, all the interviews we will start building the personas then start identifying the behavioral patterns in these personas right and which will enable us to craft the experience better as well as design campaigns to target this segment hey that's an interesting answer and let's talk about something which is very closer to your heart talking about circular design in fact it means creating goods and services that are no longer a life cycle with a start a center and a finish the aim is to design goods that can be reproduced thus reducing pollution and adding more value to the environment the question that i have for you manali is how do we use design to shut down the loop and use our minimal resources and how do we as designers pave the way for new genuinely better inventions 
based on circular design uh so yeah this is very relevant today uh when everyone is talking about the circular economy uh but then most of the companies we see are following a linear approach to growth which is make use and dispose right but eventually it'll all have to change you know for a better environment right so i would say systems thinking can really help us gain a deeper understanding of our impacts and you know i would say ask yourself what will happen over time how might your product break down how you know what happens if it breaks down whether it gets reused or repurposed by a new user or will it get repaired or refurbished or you know will it get recycled so then after that one has to make the smart material choices by asking the right questions you know uh, but then in our own small capacity we should do our bit like you know uh, while designing uh, the studio i designed the shurax from the old pvc pipes you know the lamps was from all old audio cassettes which were not used then i made settees out of old tires right so we all have to contribute in our own way to save this environment hey did you know urchalo call centers are operated by paraplegic and quadriplegic veterans at the paraplegic rehabilitation center in pune and mohali wow that's an interesting take on circular design and moving our attention of the gear from the world of design to the world of technology you've been associated in fact you are working with a tech company so let's start talking a little bit about technology looking at the future of design artificial intelligence virtual reality there is a growing responsibility we share to drive the right behaviors habits and outcomes on the intersection of technology and humanity the question that i have for you is how can designers be the human advocate in this process yeah there will be a growing lists of wicked problems huh <laughs> so i just want to say one thing that please stay ethical and human centric the goals should be aligned with the values and ethical principles of the community that you're designing for and things will automatically fall into place so these are just two cents from me you know i don't think i need to say anything else wow that's well said and taking a cue from your answer while talking about artificial intelligence we are living in an age of quickly evolving technology an era of virtual reality it has shaped how professionals and companies interact and engage with each other technology should be utilized its full potential and continuously developed to ensure the best experience for all stakeholders how will design as an industry change in future considering topics like artificial intelligence driven tools and generative design and how this will change the designer's role moving forward uh i have a different opinion on this uh, i feel technology doesn't always ensure best experience uh, you know even when utilized to its full potential honestly i wouldn't rely on algorithms to 
generate designs, especially in a creative field uh, where we need to pay attention to every tiny, minute detail of the design. Uh, well, some say it could save time, uh, but I am not convinced by that. Uh, because, you know, we have to choose and iterate, uh, you know, that will take more time because generative design anyways will rely on human-centered feedback, right? So I strongly believe if we are designing for a human, it has to be by the human. So I do not see any change in the role of a designer, Wow, that was an interesting perspective. And Manali, while we would love to continue this conversation, but in the interest of time, it brings us to my last question. At Avantika University, we've coined the term designering, a unique combination of design and engineering. Do you think both these concepts blend in your work and could help young designers achieve something exceptional? You know, we cannot say as a designer that my left brain doesn't work because design is driven by analytics. Uh, we need to analyze and synthesize the data that we get from the user research. So both the brains need to work, I mean, need to function equally when we have to craft a delightful experience for our end users. Um, and as a designer uh, we define interfaces and you know interaction models like chatbots and voice interaction and so on that have to be engineered to bring them to the real world right so design and engineering are anyways inseparable we all know that and i like to say that you know like the name name and terms are always great but then we should be sincerely practicing it and I'm sure the students are gaining something out of these podcasts. Hey, thank you so much for validating our philosophy and concept. Thank you so much, Manali, for doing this conversation. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and I'm sure our listeners are going to have a lot of take home from this conversation. Thank you so much for doing this along with us. It was my pleasure to talk to you, Rohit. And thank you again for inviting me here. Hey, welcome to our news segment where we are hosting a design startup studio, Tricycle Brand Solution this month. And today we are getting into conversation with the co-founder Kaushik Saha. Kaushik, welcome to our show. We would like you to share some of the work that you have executed for your clients till date. What are the kind of customers, their problems that you've created solution for? We'd love to hear some examples from you. Yeah, hi. Thank you, uh, Rohit. Uh, thanks for get, uh, you know asking me this question because this is a very valid question because uh, getting in, uh, uh, as Samedip mentioned earlier in the last episode, you know, we love to address business problems. We are not, while we are all about strategy and design, but, you know, we believe that it should definitely address a business problem. And it is not just about aesthetics, which should matter much. Aesthetics is always about beautifying the solution is what we do, right? Uh, to give you a few examples, uh, I would really want to take, uh, I want really want to begin with real estate here. Uh, we are in a prime real estate market uh, and uh, we had this client who, uh, so a very big name in the real estate market in Pune and uh, uh, the client, uh, it was, it, they, they belong to the affordability segment, value for money segment. Uh, they always thought, you know, uh, that, you know, we are the kings of what we do. 
Uh, one fine day, they decided that, you know, they wanted to get into the premium segment, right? But it's not as easy as just saying it. You know, it doesn't happen because you are, you've been, uh, for decades, you've been in the value segment. People know you as a value player. Uh, it took some time. So we said, you know what, well, okay, fine. Let us just go back. Let us study what, what you are. Let us study where you belong to. And then come back maybe with a pro- the next dis- uh, discussions we'll have is, you know, we'll probably arrive at what needs to be done. So we took a, a few days, you know, we understood, we found out. And we the strongest point, what we analyzed was, yes, this is a big brand, but the segment they operate out of was a completely different segment, right? So uh, getting into a premium segment from being a value player doesn't match at all. So we had to go to the client and you know what, we had to tell the client. This there Again, this is something that uh, it becomes a big challenge to tell the client, you know what, you don't belong here. You need to you need to first belong here. The client doesn't take it, especially an established player would not want to listen to something like this. And that's where the challenge comes. So we had to stick our guns and say, you know what, you are a big player, yes, acknowledged, but you are a non-existent player when it comes to the premium segment. And if you bring in the same name, to the premium segment, it is going to be very difficult for people to acknowledge the new establish uh, the new entity that you want to create. So the client just fell off his chair and he said, "What are you saying? You saying you don't you don't want me to use my name?" I said, "Exactly, that's right. You are not supposed to use your name at least till people acknowledge what you are offering." It took us quite some time to convince the client and tell him, you know that. We totally came up with a new name, a new brand essence. It took us a lot of, it looked us a lot of conviction to make the client believe that whatever we're doing was right. In short, you know, the client bought into it, we created a completely new brand, completely disassociated it with the existing brand. It took them, it took the client almost a year to two years to actually realize the benefit of what we had done. After two years, when the new brand started taking shape, and people started calling it by its name without associating it with the value brand. And then he realized, oh, yes, this is something that was right. And it took it took him two years to realize that whatever we had done is right. But then that's the patience. That's the belief that our clients have in us, right? And today, it's one of the premium uh, real estate players in the market with its own offering. And now today, after all these years, we, we, have, we have opened up and told people that, you know, this belongs to the same value brand. So now that, that differentiation is not there. But it... It, ha- it needs to be done in the right way, the right approach. That's what strategy and the right planning does. You know, that has to be planned properly. You can't, just, you can't just believe on assumptions and just say, you know what, I'm big, so I'm going to be big here. So that was one example. The other example was uh, a, a, a different business challenge, right? There was this client, a, a four-year-old uh, IT company, uh, you know, a subsidiary of a U.S. Uh, uh, company uh, based out of India. Uh, they were a 200 plus, 250 people plus strong organization, an innovation-led company. Uh, they came to us and they said, what, you know what, while we are a U.S. subsidiary, you know, we are doing this. But, you know, people don't know us. You know, people know us by the U.S. name. What can we do? Uh, and then we asked them, we went into detail, and said, what is the exact problem? Is it just people not knowing you? Uh, they said, no, actually, you know what, we want the cream of the crowd. But that means when we want people, when we are hiring people, we want the cream of the crowd. We want the IIMs, or the IITs, or you know the the top business houses or the top engineering companies to call us for placement interviews, campus placement, or campus placements. And he said, okay, so that's the business challenge. And then he said, you know, so how do we create that? We said, you know, the first thing to do is to get out of the parent name. Why? Because that name already has a lineage. It belongs to something else. It means something else. You are a completely different segment. You are a completely different player. Your offering is different. 
you need to talk about yourself and not take a leverage of the parent company. Again, the same issue. The client said, oh, do you think that's the right thing to do? Because, you know, we, we thought, you know, that's a big name, so maybe that's going to help. I said, then we, we told him, you know, whatever it, that thing is going to help you is already done. It's over. Now create your own. And that's when we renamed the company from InfoVision Labs to IVL. This is a new entity that we created. It's just, we just went back. Uh, we did a research. It took us, again, it took us a lot of conviction, uh, convincing to tell the client, you know what, you need to change your entity, right, from the naming. And the client said, okay, that means I have to change a lot of my registration, my collaterals, my company. Be ready for it. So this client said, okay, so what do we do? We went and we did a research. We first said, you know what, let's talk to the primary stakeholders. And who are the primary stakeholders of the company? Is the people, the employees of the company who are for the company. We spoke to them. We did a deep research. And we found out that the people take pride in not calling themselves InfoVision Labs but IVL, that means I for info, V for vision, and L for labs. You know, um, uh, unofficially, they love to call themselves IVL. And said, that's it. That's what you are. You are IVL. That runs in the genes. And that's how we built IVL over a period of time. We created the new identity. We created the entire new collateral set, the new dimension we created. We coined this, uh, the, the philosophy of the company called Invisible Innovation. Because we realized that here's an IT company which doesn't be, be, believe in the big, you know, the big gifts, the big uh, prize, prizes. They believe in making small change. So they're, they're okay with the client coming to them and telling them, you know what, I just want this change to be done, which is going to make a big difference to the client business. So they were the invisible innovators. And that's where, that's what we coined. We said, you know, you, you are all about invisible innovation. And that's what uh, we, we coined the slogan. We coined their, uh, their tagline, which said power of possibilities, because everything is possible when you think fresh, you think alike, right? And the, the entire exercise took shape. And then we created the entire field of the kind of, we created a complete new company. And we presented it to such, in such a way that from today, after three and a half years to four years, the company from a 200 people organization stands at almost 1700 people plus with five offices across uh, globally and growing, right? So that's how, that's how it took shape, you know? And, and, and not only that, the challenge about IAMs and IITs calling them, that's what happened. The big institutes started calling them for placements. So they achieved that. Today, people uh, understand when they, say, when they say IVL, they know it. So that's, that's another thing. Super. That, that's, that's a great um, uh, case study, uh, Kaushik. I think uh, we... Uh, our listeners definitely realize the impact of branding and uh, partnering with you. Thank you so much for sharing this, Kaushik. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Hey there, we hope you enjoyed our show. Do write to us on ads at the rate avantika.edu.in. We look forward to your opinions, feedbacks and suggestions of speakers you would like us to host on this show. Do tune in our channel next week on Wednesday for a new story on Hub Hopper or wherever you get your podcast from. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter.